This podcast is brought to you by the Village Zendo. Please connect with us at villagezendo.org slash survey. So we have a really um, sweet and intimate group here in the Zendo this cold Thursday night. And I see um, people I don't know, people I haven't seen in a long time. And it's also really great. I really do need my glasses to see you online. Hi, beautiful friends online. <laughs> I'm just really happy to be here. Um, so I wanna to talk to you tonight about a bell. And for those of you who are here with me in the Zendo, it's right over there at the back of the room. And you probably know it well, or maybe if you're new here, you're not um, so familiar with it. Um, For those of you not here, I'll describe it in a moment. We call it the big case. And for years, (laughs) I thought people were saying the English language word case, like (laughs) C-A-S-E, as in something you put things inside. I had no idea why we called it that. Uh, But when I was first here at the Zendo, there were so many different practices, things, rituals, aspects of it that were a mystery that I just accepted this as one uh, one more mystery. (laughs) And I also, I think I just trusted that gradually these things would become clear in time. And indeed, uh, this did become clear, as many of the other things have. So what people were actually saying was the Japanese word keisu. which in the English alphabet would be spelled like K-E-S-U or K-E-I-S-U. It's just that when you say it in Japanese, you hardly pronounce that U. It it becomes almost silent or in some cases actually silent. Um, So for those of you who are not in the presence of this bell or who've never seen it, it's shaped like a bowl. Uh, It's what's sometimes called an upright or standing bell because the mouth points up instead of hanging down. And it sits on a cushion. Uh, And it's a a big bowl. (laughs) The top ring is about the same size, the rim is about the same size as the circle of my arms. And so the belly of it is is even bigger. I couldn't possibly put my arms around it. Um, And if you're up next to it, it feels even larger than that, as if it were a person uh, sitting right next to you. So our big case was found in Japan by Enkyo Roshi, who bought it for the Zendo and dedicated it as a memorial to her teacher, Maizumi Roshi. It has an inscription to Maizumi Roshi on the rim if you uh, get a chance to take a look. And it's made in the traditional manner from three sheets of bronze that are fused together. There's a base, which is circular. There's a body, which um, is like a cylinder almost, uh, although it bows out when it's finished. And then there's also a piece, which is the rim. And so if you look inside the bell, you can see the seams there. And these bells are shaped by a process of heating, cooling, and hammering to anneal the metal, to fuse it together. And it takes about 40 rounds of this to shape the bell. And it happens over the course of several months. So it takes a long time to make one of these bells. And then there's the process of tuning. So the bell maker 
uh, takes this semi-finished bell and rings it and listens very closely and then uh, strikes it on the inside with a wooden hammer to slightly adjust the shape. Um, and right now there are only 10 people in Japan who know how to make these bells in the traditional way. And one of them, whose name is uh, Yoshinori Shimatani, described apprenticing to his grandfather in the studio that makes the bells for Eheji Temple, among others. So it's, I think he's the fourth generation bell maker in his family. Shimatani spent five years just listening to his grandfather tune the bells before he was allowed to pick up a hammer himself. Each size of the bell is tuned differently, and so he had to learn from memory the right sounds for each kind of bell. And then he spent another five years gradually learning the techniques under his grandfather's supervision and revision, and then another two years of practice before his grandfather was willing to hand over the tradition to him. During the tuning, the sound is adjusted to create slow undulations. And um, I've heard a demonstration of this when the bell is sort of fresh and untuned, uh, the, it, it vibrates more quickly. And part of the goal is to uh, slow down the undulations of the bell. Um, and the bell sound has in, in, uh, in this tradition, uh, three named aspects or parts. There's the kan, the otsu and the mon. So the kan is the first striking sound, the first thing, part of the sound that you hear when you hit the bell, sharp. The otsu, uh, Shimitani describes as a higher vibrating town, tone. I'm not sure I've yet been able to distinguish, oops, sorry, all of these. Uh, and then the mon is a slower billowing sound. I do feel I've heard the billowing. So these bells are also known in Japan as rin bells or orin, and the O there is an honorific as if you were speaking of a respective person, a respected person. Um, and Shimitani said, I think of my orin as my children. For the few months that I'm shaping them, I am pouring myself and all my emotions into them. So my mental state is very important as I work. And he described needing to be calm and meditative when he was working on the bells and liking to doing the, do, do the tuning first thing in the morning when he was uh, fresh. And he said he avoids uh, fights with his wife when he's working on bell tuning. Presumably he avoids them all the time. <laughs> or tries to. So our bell, um, this big case, has a very beautiful billowing sound. And the reason I know this, and the reason I wanted to tell you about this bell is because I spent a week with it on our recent retreat. I was the doan or the bell ringer. And I rang this bell many times every day. When I sat down next to it at the beginning of the week, <laughs> This bell was something I'd hardly ever touched. I think I'd rung it, uh, you know, only to sort of seal in my vow uh, on New Year's Eve. Each person has a chance to ring the bell once. And so once a year, I had touched this bell or I had sounded this bell. 
Um, but I, I really didn't uh, know very much about what it was going to be like to ring it. But by the end of the week, it felt something more like an intimate friend or like a teacher even. So there's a famous koan about a bell that goes like this. Jungman said, the world is vast and wide. Why do you put on your priest's robe at the sound of the bell? So I think of this koan, I think, you know, like many koans, you can sort of uh, enter it through many doors. But um, one, one way is uh, that this story is pointing to the fundamental point of what it is that we do. We could be doing anything with our lives, in our lives, but somehow a number of us have gathered here this evening at the Zendo and others have taken time out of their day to, to, to be with us online and others will be listening to this perhaps in the future. The world is vast and wide. Why are we doing this? What is the point of sitting zazen, of listening to a Dharma talk, of following the Buddha way? Another aspect of this koan, and the one that I want to kind of steer us towards tonight, is the aspect of time. As everyone listening probably knows by now, our study text for this period is Dogen's essay, Uji, or Time Being. One of the central points in Uji is that we ourselves are time. And in fact, everything is time. And for me, this is actually quite trippy when I think about it. It, it's, it seems quite similar to the trippy feeling I get at the opening lines of the Heart Sutra when Avalokiteshvara tells Shariputra that what they have realized during this deep meditation is form is no other than emptiness. Emptiness is no other than form. Form is exactly emptiness. Emptiness exactly form. It's, it's really a very strange thought. I often look at something during that line if we're chanting it, um, like the floor maybe, or a person's foot, something that's in my line of view, or like, so, you know, and I try to bring into my awareness that that thing, which looks like form to me, this looks like form to me completely, um, is exactly emptiness. So to say that everything is time, I think, is really no different than to say form is emptiness. Here's where Dogen says uh, that we ourselves are time. This is, I think, one of my very favorite parts of Uji. He says, the way the self arrays itself is the form of the entire world. See each thing in this entire world as a moment of time. Things do not hinder one another, just as moments do not hinder one another. The way-seeking mind arises in this moment. A way-seeking moment arises in this mind. It is the same with practice and with attaining the way. Thus, the self setting itself out in array sees itself. This is the understanding that the self is time. Ryoshin Hoshi also uh, read this passage in a recent talk, uh, also on Uji. And I think it really goes to the heart of what Dogen is saying. The way the self arrays itself is the form of the entire world. See each thing in this entire world as a moment of time. 
Thus, the self setting itself out in array sees itself. This is the understanding that the self is time. So let's, um, I'm gonna drink some time. Um, let's think about Unmen again, Yunmen. Yunmen said, the world is vast and wide. Why do you put on your priest's robe at the sound of the bell? If the way the self arrays itself is the form of the entire world, if each thing in this world is a moment in time, why do we put on our robes at the sound of the bell? The world is not frozen in some timeless state. It exists moment by moment. We exist moment by moment. We wake up in the morning, we eat, we do the work of the day. And when it's time to come to the Zendo, we come to the Zendo. When it's time for me to be giving this talk, I'm giving this talk. This talk, these words, this moment. Dogen reminds us that this moment does not hinder any other moment. And in fact, each thing and each moment contains everything else. He says, know that in this way, there are myriads of forms and hundreds of grasses through the entire earth. And yet each grass and each form is itself the entire earth. The study of this is just the beginning of practice. When you are at this place, there is just one grass. There is just one form. There is understanding of form and there is no understanding of form. There is understanding of grass and no understanding of grass. And if you're feeling at this moment like you're not understanding, you are there right here in the, in the text. You're already here. <laughs> understanding and not understanding both happen, right? Since there is nothing but this moment, the time being is all the time there is. Grass being, form being are both time. Each moment is all being, is the entire world. Reflect now whether any being or any world is left out of the present moment. Is there anything left out of this moment right here? So I wanna come back um, to the bell that I was talking about at the beginning of this. And as I mentioned, my service position on retreat was to be Doan or the bell ringer. And I had wanted to learn this role for so many years. So I was very grateful. I'm bowing to the person who assigned me this, I'm very grateful <laughs> um, that I got uh, to have the opportunity. It was really, it was really remarkable. And because I had no experience really with this bell, the beginning, the beginning was a little rough. Sometimes I was too loud. Sometimes I was too soft. I tried all these different ways of holding the striker until I found one that felt right. But even then, I re received advice to hold it a different way. And then the timing was its own difficulty. The bell has to be struck just at the right moment, many, many times during the day, many, many right moments. Tempting to think of them as many, many wrong moments, uh, but, um, but it should be struck in many, many right moments. The world is vast and wide. 
Why do I strike the bell when the officiant bows? The world is vast and wide. Why do I strike the bell when the Eno sings the name of the chant? Maha Prajna Paramita Heart Sutra Gong. The bell teaches something about time, something I cannot put into words. The bell is silent until you strike it. Then it responds to the motion of your arm. And that motion is the motion of your entire being. The sounding of the bell begins with that strike, but it keeps reverberating. Yoshinori Shimitani said that the largest bells, like the ones at Eheji, can ring for as long as 10 minutes. Sometimes when I rang our bell, it felt like the reverberations went out into space and time forever. And I think in a way they do. Last year around this time, Fusho Hoshi, who's sitting here, uh, gave a talk called Inviting the Bell to Ring. She had also just been Doan. <laughs> and it's a very powerful experience. Um, and she took this phrase from Thich Nhat Hanh, who said, usually when someone sounds the bell, we don't say hit it. We say that they should invite the bell to sound. Uh, in Thich Nhat Hanh's tradition, the bell ringer actually prepares themselves with a short verse uh, before they invite the bell to sound, which, which uh, Fusho also shared. Body, speech, and mind in perfect oneness. I send my heart along with the sound of this bell. May the hearers awaken from their forgetfulness and transcend the path of anxiety and sorrow. And then when the bell sounds, you say to yourself as you breathe in, I listen, I listen. And when you breathe out, you say, listen, listen. This wonderful sound brings me back to my true home. So I'm wondering, uh, Fusho, if you'd be willing to ring the bell for us so that we can, yeah, uh, so that we can say um, to ourselves when we hear it, listen, listen. This wonderful sound brings me back to my true home, and I hope you'll be able to hear it online as well. In this space, I'm still hearing the mon, the low, billowing, undulation. I think I could hear all three parts that time. So in closing, I wanna go back to Dogen. He says, since there is nothing but just this moment, the time being is all the time there is. I think it's easy to feel that when you really listen to the sound of the bell. Ringing the bell gives you a special opportunity to feel now, now, now. Is there anything left out of this moment, left out of this moment right here? 
In one of his other essays, Dogen offers a poem from his teacher, Rujing, who is speaking of a wind bell. So the temples often had wind bells. Uh, they had many different kinds of bells. And Rujing's poem goes, the entire body is a mouth hanging in empty space. Regardless of the wind from east, west, south, or north, joining the whole universe in chiming out prajna. Ting, 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 or now, 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 now. 